Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. Hey, everybody, it's 15 Minute Film Fanatics. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. Mike, set us up. Dan, there's no other way to say it. I was I was made to see this movie. That this is not how I actually feel about it, though. Uh, it's it's better than I expected. I will say it. But we're doing Top Gun Maverick. Dan is an uber fan of all things Tom Cruise, and so there was no way that we could not do it. I honestly don't know anything about the guy who directed it. I don't really even know who wrote the screenplay here. It's very clear who's in charge of this movie. Dan, who's in charge of this movie? Tom Cruise. All the way down. Actually, as a matter of fact, funny story. Kenny Loggins produced a new version of Danger Zone, apparently got a band together, went into a recording studio, tried to think of a 2022 version of the song that could go with this movie. And Tom Cruise heard it and went, eh, we'll stick with the original. That's great. Is that, because- is that indicative of how you feel about the movie? Totally. Well, Joseph Kaczynski is the guy who directed it. And obviously Tony Scott directed the original, but clearly, you know, it, you don't go to see the movies every day where the lead in the movie comes out beforehand and thanks you for seeing the movie. Like that's, that's so strange. There's so many strange things about it, but here's how I want to start talking about this. You know, um, I apologize to no one for, for liking Tom Cruise. And it's kind of like a joke in my house. Cause I happen to say, this is how all these jokes start, right? I happen to say one time, I don't know. I don't think Tom Cruise is like this terrible actor. And then it became, Oh my God, you think he's Orson Welles. Yeah, and like everyone, everyone kind of jumped on this. So I just roll with it. You don't not think he's Orson Welles. I, I listen, I don't, I don't, I do not think Tom Cruise could play Charles Foster Kane, but I think if you roll the dice on a Tom Cruise game board, chances are you're going to end up with a watchable movie. Here's how I want to start. I want to start by talking about how much we love Letterboxd. How much do we love Letterboxd? It's actually the the best way of, of all the aesthetic communities out there. This is the best thing anybody's ever done using the internet to get a bunch of people who like one thing together to talk about it. Absolutely. So we're on Letterboxd. You can follow us at 15 Film. The reason I bring this up is because I love reading quick reviews of movies on Letterboxd. There's so many funny people out there. And I want to just read you two of them that I read about this movie that I think are hilarious. And we're going to give shout outs to the authors. So this first one is by, is by this guy, um, Robert Saucedo. I hope I'm saying his name right, or Robert Saucedo. Here's what he says. During the screening of Top Gun Maverick, a man in his 50s yelled out in what sounded like a fit of pure ecstasy during one of the aerial shots. He sounded like he was being raptured. I can't wait for the dads of the world to experience this movie this summer. So that, that was pretty funny. Another guy named Andy Levy wrote this. I'm not exaggerating when I say this might be the single most enjoyable movie I've ever seen. I think the only people who might even be capable of enjoying it more are Ray-Ban executives. And I, <laughs> I think those are pretty funny. And I think they capture what's, what's fun about this movie. I mean, it's a visceral experience. You get exactly what you're paying for. You pay for the editing. And let me just add, did you see the preview for that movie Bullet Train with Brad Pitt? 
before it started? No. Okay. So that's a movie, like, you know how movies are hyper-edited now where, like, during a fight scene, like, it'll slow down really quick? Right. Kind of like in The Matrix and it gets fast. And it, where it's like, you can't even, like, your, 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 your synapses can't keep up with it. That's kind of like editing for like, I think for like a five-year-old, I think that this film is edited really well. I think, I think it's got the classic blockbuster scenario. Like it's like um, Ocean's Eleven or, or Seven Samurai. Here's the mission. We're going to get the band together. We're going to go perform. We're going to do it. Something will go wrong during the execution of the mission. So that's, that's a formula we all like, but I think it does that very, in a very old fashioned way. And I think it does it without, it has the patina of nostalgia. That's was the joke about all the dads watching this. It's like the ultimate dad movie without being too sappy. Like the lighting of Jennifer Connelly is like the whole movie. Like it's very, 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 very soft, very harmless. And it's got, it occurred to me that it's got all this modern tech in it, but it's got the feel of an eighties movie, right? It's got the cheesiness of like the, the bad guy, the hangman. He, he's just like, um, like the bad dude in, uh, in, Cobra Kai or the, the original Karate Kid, right? Um, it, it's it's like an '80s movie that it has no social awareness. It doesn't take place in the danger zone. It takes place in the neutral zone, and I think sometimes that's what a movie's for. Sorry, I'm still trying not to laugh at Patina. This movie from the first ten minutes is better than any Marvel movie, any Marvel movie, which is kind of where the bar is for blockbusters. So. Yes, did I did I did I have to see this movie? Emotionally and morally, yes, I did have to see this movie. I will say it's better than any other popcorn movie th- yeah. th- this summer. And and a lot of it has to do with what you're talking about, which which I think is is more technical expertise and I mean that from the screenwriting position as well, right? The the, the screenwriter is not trying to it's not didactic obviously. Certainly not. <laughs> right? And so the if you ask yourself a question about a lot of Marvel movies that end up being bad, it's like, what's the position of the screenwriter to the audience? What are they trying to do with you? What's trying to be manipulated? Um, some screenwriters try to manipulate your attention. Some, again, didacticism. Right. Some screenwriters try to manipulate manipulate your moral sense. A classic screenplay tries to manipulate your expectations in a way that you expect but are nevertheless delighted by anyway. And that's what's going on in this movie. It right. might as uh, I mean, I will say that we saw an ad for Mission Impossible, uh, like uh, whatever the final installment was going to be. And when I saw part one, um, I nearly crapped myself <laughs> laughing in my seat because that is the, it's the, the, the most self-indulgent that like, if there's a patina of, of anything, it's Tom Cruise's self-indulgence that runs literally from before the movie starts to the end credit. But if you say from a technical perspective, I saw like Shang-Chi, you know, is this better technically than Shang-Chi in every element of filmmaking? Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. It has better performances from people. It's got a better script. This is such a classic writer's guild question but there's something at stake in this movie in every scene right there's three acts they there's three acts so it has a classic structure it has classic performances it's got classic editing it's got classic everything it's a classic that's what i meant by it's that's what's nostalgic about it is that it's that it's not because like you know i I think i think i'd i think the mission impossible movies are great um i even like i like those movies more than top gun and i don't think top the original top gun was some like unbelievably great movie that i've seen a thousand times but i think this movie reminds you of what it used to be like to go to the movies the what's nostalgic about it is that you are there to be entertained and that is something I think people take 
for granted too often because there's not that many movies left that are actually trying to entertain you. Yeah. And, you know, while we're at it, while, while I see, oh, see, we do these on Zoom, so you really can't see Mike laughing. Here's a question. Here's, I have a secret list, Mike. I have a secret list in my hand. Here it is. I thought to myself, how many major, major directors have worked with Tom Cruise? Name, name all the major directors that have worked. With. You can't. It's you, you can name them. I have a list right here, right? You, I, I came. I thought of. I thought of eleven. Eleven major directors have worked at this guy, right? Am I allowed before you read that list to say you're the smartest person I know that's seen Eyes Wide Shut all the way through? Uh, sure. Okay. Sure. Okay. Um, but there's that. There's Kubrick. That's not the movie's not a disaster. Um, there's Spielberg. The two movies with Spielberg, right? He did Collateral with Michael Mann. Um, Magnolia, which you love. Okay, I love Magnolia. And you love him in it. You love him in it. Um, Born on the 4th of July with Oliver Stone. Um, the Firm, which is not great, but with Sidney Pollack directed that. Uh, Rain Man, Barry Levinson. Color of Money, great movie. Mission Impossible, we talked about. Brian De Palma. Um, interview with the Vampire, Neil Jordan. And then uh, The Outsiders with Coppola. So I was thinking, like, besides Leonardo DiCaprio, or maybe he's tied with him, or Tom Hanks or something, you know, there's something about this guy that I think is an old-fashioned movie star without rhapsodizing too much. Not a great actor, right? And sometimes you can combine them. Like Cary Grant was a great actor and a great movie star. I think Brad Pitt's a great actor and a great movie star. Yeah, I think he's just tied up in the idea of the industry. And you yeah. either can love the industry for what it is, or you hate it and you're trying to undermine it, but you still want to see movies anyway. But he's he's just such a personification of the industry that he's he's thanking you for coming to the movies in the time of COVID. All right. In part two, we'll talk about our favorite moments. Okay. So in part two, we talk about our, our key scenes. Dan, what's the key scene? I want to just go back to something you said before and put oh, this on God. record that I love the Mission Impossible movies and I don't I didn't laugh at it. My my reaction to the trailer was I gotta wait a year to see the next Mission Impossible movies. Talk about satisfying entertaining movies. They're 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 totally satisfying. Okay. Why dump on Mission Impossible? It has nothing to prove. I'm not we even did an episode. It. You I'm can go back in our back catalog. I right. like I do like the classic structure of, of yeah. Top Gun and and I can sense what they were trying to do. I would call I would call Top Gun a movie with ideas. So what scene do you have right. that, it, that that's got its idea? My moment was when John Hamm, because you have to have a certain level of good lookingness, you know, on, uh, to, to, on the screen Naturally. is is when he uh, has to decide whether, you know, to, to, to fire Tom Cruise or put him in as, as, you know, team leader. Do I sacrifice the mission of my career? And it's kind of funny. It's like, you know, the classic structure is we have Tom Cruise. He loses his Tom Cruise mojo. It's threatened. And then all acknowledges Tom Cruise at this. And I think that's so funny. That's in so many of these 80s movies where like the, 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 the hero, again, it's like an 80s movie. The hero tries to be himself. Somebody says, you can't be that. And at the end, it, it, he, he's proven correct. So this movie does have a couple of things wrong with it. And, and here's, here's one thing is like, there's a, a real big missed opportunity with his scene with Jennifer Connelly, like when he's kicked out, when he's, when he's permanently grounded, right? Like, of course, what you should have is the hero like explains this and somebody says, well, at least we can be in love. And he's like, yeah, I guess at least we can be in love. Right. And then he's called back and then he breaks the rules. Something, there's something at stake. She's like, oh, so you finally, like, we can finally consummate our 35 year romance to each other. And she's like, you know what? I think you trying to get yourself killed one last time is, even more important because she has to acknowledge it. He's Tom Cruise, man. Like what was your, what was your moment? Uh, my, my moment cheesy though it is, is when we get into the third act 
which is when Tom Cruise defies the odds and he does the entire course with 15 seconds to spare. I think, again, the, the screenwriters know what to do with your attention and what's at stake in such a way that those scenes just work. Right, Th- those scenes have a human appeal. It's not yeah. necessarily because you're, you know, you're any specific demographic. They just know what works from the visual perspective. That scene is not unlike um, the chariot scene in Ben Hur. It has true. a visual texture and syntax that defies language, so it just works. Right, and you don't even need to know. I love how the the bad guy, the country that where they have to blow up the uranium thing, the, the other fighter pilots all look like Darth Vader. Like in his TIE fighter, because they just they're blacked out. There's no insignia. It's just an unnamed bad country. We got to go blow up the uranium mine. All right, I'll see you in part three. So in part three, you always talk about the title or the ending. Mike, what do you think? All I have is another long rant about screenwriting. But if you're still listening to this podcast, I assume that you <laughs> you either like that or you, you just don't care at this point. So this movie is all the things that you said and all the things that we said so far. But there is one problem with it. It it sets a central narrative question that ultimately it cannot answer besides the Jennifer Jennifer Connelly stuff being silly. Um there there's a bigger thing at stake, there's a bigger problem, which is that the movie is about how can you take one person's skill and distribute it to a team such that you can turn the one into the many, right? How can you create Hoosiers. a a four right Hoosiers. Okay, you, you nailed it. So it turns out that in Top Gun land, you can. You cannot. Right. Because it's very, it's, and it's very much about that from the perspective of the movie, too, right? You, you just have this one man force who is the industry. He's the personification of the thing you're trying to do, but you don't want the thing that you're trying to do to, to die with him or to end with his career. Right. And so, of course, the, the, the way that the movie cheats, you, you could imagine another director, another screenwriter, at least trying to start a franchise by Tom Cruise can't go on the mission and you build some chemistry with the very wooden group from the beginning. We can, we can all agree that their dialogue yeah. um, in the, uh, what's the name of the bar the, again? The classroom or the, oh, the, uh, the low, the, 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 it's not the low ceiling. It's the, the lower, the lower deck. Yeah. It, right. Um, you, you, their dialogue when they first come in is, yeah. is unbelievably bad. It's, and it, the the rest of the movie is so good minus that scene with Jennifer Connelly that the dialogue stands out by a mile that like this is the worst thing that we're doing but again the central narrative the central question is like if you could let them be a team you could actually you could make like four more top gun movies they're all young but clearly the production team including Tom Cruise himself like literally looked at this movie and went no nah, they can't do it without me no, i got to jump out of stuff i got to have stuff explode it must be me. And so the real, the central dramatic question of this movie that it poses, it cannot answer. And that's, that's a well, problem. Well, it does answer it. Tom Cruise can, cannot teach you how to be Tom Cruise. It's, it's, it's not transferable. It's like a coupon that's not transferable to someone else. But the kid who plays Rooster isn't bad. No, he's not. The kid, he, could yeah, lead right. a, he could lead his right. first film franchise. The, the point is Tom Cruise was not always Tom Cruise. You got to right. give him a chance. But this movie's like, nah, I'm not sure. Nah, first, yeah. first fiddle's covered. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. First fiddle. Well, you know, your whole description there is pretty, pretty funny. Like, like, will they make more of these, right? I, I hope they don't. But also, it reminded me of Creed. So the Rocky movies play out. 
right? He does he does five Rocky movies. He does Rocky Balboa, which is all about being old, and he fights in that one. You saw Rocky sure, Balboa, right? Sure. And then we get Creed, and in Creed, remember, you still get the charm of of Rocky, but you get to watch Creed now fight, and there's Creed two and things like that. I, so, I actually I actually think Creed two is a good movie. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I'm just Creed going, like, I'll say it right now. I, I like Creed, Creed and Creed too. I like both of them because you want to see it's fun to see Stallone give advice. So but but Tom Cruise would never do that. Yeah. But again, but the point is that Michael B. Jordan is actually good. Right. Right. <laughs> the point is that if you could find the right person who could carry right. a franchise, God forbid Sylvester Stallone died, you could make Creed three tomorrow. Right. You could act right. right. It's it's makeable. And so that the industry goes on. But the point is, you can tell that the star himself is tied up in the structure because the structure pulls you another way, but the star goes, no, it's gotta be me. Yeah. He could literally be on oxygen with nine G's, you know, and they would still make this movie. He could be doing, you know, dialysis or something in between shooting down other jet pilots, you know, or, or using aspartame. But they would because, still keep it rolling because Tom Cruise, as as crazy as he is, and always is he's the personification of a certain kind of movie experience, and he and I think he knows that. That's why he's how about when he's running in the forest doing his Tom Cruise running thing? You're like he's got to run in every movie. Um, but that's like that's kind of who he is, and that's kind of what he's at because at this point he's sixty or sixty one. He should by this point pivot into like different kinds of movies. Like he can do any movie he wants to, but I'm like, was he just going to make, cause he's done quote unquote real movies. I mean, he's, he's done. It's kind of funny. Like Jerry Maguire. Well, no, not to, which I've never seen all of, by the way, but I'm talking uh-huh. about, you know, a few good men, which you like, you like a few good men. We did a one shot on a few good men. I want to hear you first say that right. he also had you at hello. He d- <laughs> Listen, I, I apologize to no one again, but my point is he could pivot to other mo- other kinds of movies, but sure. it seems like he won't because he's this, he's he's created this thing but called Tom Cruise. My point is that in order for him to be Tom Cruise, the filmic universe as an aesthetic universe has to be eternal. Yeah. But in order to be Tom Cruise, you must really believe somewhere in your brain that only you can do it and it will die with you. Yeah. And those are conflicting ideas. They are. They absolutely are. And that's why that's why John Hamm has to look out the window when he tells Tom Cruise. He just like he's looking through like, I have to make a big decision. Like, do I acknowledge your Tom Cruise-ness or do I try to because remember the remember the, the mission gets pushed a week earlier? So it's like less time for me to convey my Tom Cruise qualities to others. You can't do it. You can't do it if you had a thousand weeks, Mike. You couldn't do it. So let me let me end by by saying one more thing from Letterboxd. This was from someone named Jay Bird on Letterboxd. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that goes into exactly what you're saying. You ready for this? Tom just loves to go cruising and doesn't really like losing. If forced to teach or play at the beach, it's obvious which one he's choosing. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Maverick. We'll see. You next. I, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I feel you enjoyed the offensive defensive uh, football scene. <laughs> You can follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm or on Letterboxd. There's a thousand funny, funny reviews of all the movies we like on Letterboxd. So go check them out. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.